We've come now to the last story in John chapter 4 about Jesus healing an official son. And I'm going to read to you from verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet had no honour in his own country. When he arrived at Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him, and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realised that this was the exact time which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. So Jesus has spent two days in Samaria, a place which Jews would not want to hang around in because Jews don't have any dealings with Samaria and in doing so had broken down barriers. I think that the takeaway message from this particular incident in Samaria is very clear. It's the idea that even though there are people that we don't get on with, people who, by custom and tradition, we refuse to talk to, people who have maybe within families for years and years never even um, given a glance to, nevertheless, Jesus is not bound by those kind of considerations. Here you have a man for whom just other human beings count for more than the traditions of the elders here. Care, compassion, love, mercy, those things are much higher on the esteem than simply sticking to the tribe to which I belong. And I think that that's something which we need to take away from the Sumerian view. But Jesus stayed there two days. He showed that he was willing to spend time with people that Jews would not normally spend time with. We'll see that echoed throughout many of the encounters that we have with Jesus throughout his uh, ministry. But then, after two days, he left for Galilee. He had some business there. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. And that's worth dwelling upon and thinking about for a moment or two. A prophet has no honour in his own country. 
Why is that? Well, it's really quite straightforward. It's in your own country that you're known the best, that maybe people think that they understand you better, that they consider you not something special. You've just come from round the corner. And therefore, who do you think you are? Kind of attitude prevails with that. Very often, companies will hire people on the basis that they've come from a different company and might possibly be um, something which bringing something with them which is special and unusual something which is novel and and beyond what they're expecting and very often people within their own company might get passed over because the outsider is often considered better than the insider we all have that kind of a, a feeling about something that we know about something that we understand something that we comprehend is something that we can pigeonhole something that we can dismiss without a real consideration and i think we can all fall into that particular problem not giving true consideration to the things around us simply through familiarity familiarity as the saying goes breeds contempt and that's exactly the same meaning as this a prophet has no honor in his own country jesus was not expecting people to be welcoming to him or even to understand him but rather to dismiss him because he didn't expect to have any honor in his own country because of this familiarity breeds contempt idea we're all of us kind of putting greater store sometimes on things which are new and novel and things that we don't understand rather than on the things that we do and that's a danger it seems to me because although a prophet is without honor in his own country he's still a prophet and being a prophet he still has the words of wisdom from god and therefore it's not the prophet's problem that he doesn't have honor in his own country on the contrary it's the country's problem it's the familiarity of people that has a problem because it's that lack that a familiarity that they have which means that they have a lack of taking things at face value pigeonholing some something else which is being warned of here but anyway that's in the background and that's as jesus approaches galilee and yet, interestingly, there's a contrast here. When he arrived at Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Everyone goes up for the Passover feast to Jerusalem. It's a bustling, thriving town. And at this point, at the peak of population within Jerusalem, Jesus makes his massive entrance by casting out people from the temple by making a cord of whips and clearing out the money changes an obvious abuse of the spirituality of god and of spiritual things so he clears out the temple and everyone suddenly knows about jesus and i pointed out to you earlier on but you need a huge amount of personal courage determination and self-reliance to be able to do such an act as that a kind of inward built 
robustness of knowledge that you know that what you're doing is right and that you carry it out regardless of what those consequences are or who might be upset by them because principle matters more to you than your comfort or the way in which people are going to view you. Strangely, in a paradoxical way, when you do make a stand on principles, even though you might worry that people are going to despise you for it, far more people admire you because very often it's quite um, it's unusual for having people to stand by principles. Very often we squander principles. It's a bit like that, um, that old joke by Groucho Marx. I have my principles, and if you don't like them, then I have a whole pile of other ones. But that's a kind of politician's comment, really, or a, politician, a comment on politicians. But here you have um, a person of principle, a person who acts according to principle, and a person who is fearless and courageous enough to do that, that attracts a great deal, of, not of just of attention, but admiration by many people. And the clearing out of the temple clearly had a huge impact because people from Galilee, from the area, had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Remember that story rather well. That was the first sign which is being referred to here. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, that's interesting because Capernaum is some way away from Cana, and it must have been that he, I'm guessing at this point, but this seems a likely scenario, that the official was with his son, worried at him by his bedside, could see the fever getting worse and worse and worse, convinced that he was about to die and there was nothing that the medical doctors could do. But somehow or other he hears that this holy man, Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, this person who's made such a big impact, has made his way to Cana some miles away. So he takes himself off because he thinks that Jesus can do something about it. Not sure why he would think that, except for the fact that holy men and prophets of God have had that power in the Old Testament. And here was like a kind of a last-ditch attempt to save his son. That's all really that concerns him. And he's pressing on and he's walking deliberately, it seems to me, to meet Jesus all those miles away. And it seems to me it's a day or so away in walking, so we're looking at it something like 20 or 30 miles, so I haven't checked it on a map. You can probably find out for yourself that way. But um, there's the official, the royal official, who's based in Capernaum, whose son is in Capernaum, and when he hears that Jesus is arrived from Galilee, he went to him. So distance was no matter, time was no matter, but he needed to go there and to see this man because that was his only hope. Now, that shows something important about this official. It shows that, well, first of all, maybe desperation may be involved in this, that there's no other solution. 
But the solution which he was clinging on to and the hope that he had was that this person in Jesus was able to do something which no one else could do. In other words, he respected Jesus as a person of remarkable ability and maybe someone who was a holy person of God. Someone who he recognised as godly in his ways. And the idea is that if you are one with God, then maybe you have some influence with God to make some changes and to, to help him. He comes, he says, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived at Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Customary for doctors and people to, to come to the person's bedside, issue prayers, maybe medicines, maybe some incantations, some rituals or other, and ask God's blessing on the ill person. Jesus has a very astonishing response here. Here's someone in great desperation, tears, begging, begging at the feet of Jesus, maybe kneeling in front of him. That's the kind of picture we need for the idea of begging. Begging and pleading. You're my last hope. You can save my son. I believe you can. Please, please help me. I have no other help. Pleading. Jesus' response is what at first sight might be seen brusque or maybe even callous. His reply is to this person begging him, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now, that's a, a saying which has been said many times by Jesus. And he looks down on those people who simply ask him, perform a miracle and then I believe. That kind of idea. There were only people who wanted Jesus to perform tricks, magic things, for their amusement maybe. And the bargain was that if you do this amusing thing for me, I'll believe you. That's what you want, isn't it, Jesus' followers? Well, show us what you can do. It's not surprising that Jesus would despise that kind of attitude. And this statement here has that kind of insight into it. Unless you people, now you people is, is not that person but talking plurally, all of you, it's, it's like he's writing them off as people who do not have the spiritual insight to recognise him for who he is without some miraculous sign. And that's disappointing. You will never believe, and yet you should, simply for my words, simply from recognising wisdom and truth from God itself. But now you want the sign or wonder, which is a lower form of belief. The royal official, it seemingly didn't respond to that rebuke, and it was a rebuke. Instead, he said, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
This is a person who's not interested in signs and wonders and certainly doesn't fall into that camp of show me a sign and then I'll believe. This is someone who did believe and whose only concern was his son. That's a completely different picture that we have here. Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus, recognising that belief which was inherent in the man and his concern not about just the sign and the wonder, responds positively. You see, it's common to see throughout the stories of Jesus that Jesus initially, when people appeal to him for something, issues a rebuke of sometimes, go away. And it's those people who are more humble and maybe accept the rebuke or still beg for help beyond that, that he realises that these people are um, worthy of help. Put it that way. Maybe that's a bad way of putting it. But it's a bit like there's a kind of a barrier, there's a kind of a challenge, and if you get over that challenge by showing your um, humbleness and and devotion to Christ, then his answer is favourable. But initially a challenge. Go away. You know, I'm not interested. Please, only you can help. And so Jesus then sees the faith in this man. Sir, come down before my child dies. And he replies, you may go. Your son will live. Now, you can see immediately the faith of this man, because what does he do? He doesn't say, no, 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 you've got to come, got to come, come and see him, come and... Immediately he says, the man took Jesus at his word. That's a statement of faith. Taking somebody at their word is believing that what they say. He took him, Jesus, at his word and departed. In other words, he left. He didn't need any more from Jesus except Jesus' word. We'll come across this kind of story in the future, that all you need is a word from Jesus, and to accept his word as being authoritative is to accept him for who he is. The guy did not leave empty-handed. He did not leave in desperation. He did not leave thinking that his pleas had fallen on deaf ears. He took Jesus at his word, which meant that he believed that what Jesus said was true. And so he left. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living, presumably because he felt that he was going to be dead soon. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. The seventh hour was the time when the man had approached Jesus and asked him to heal his son. And the seventh hour was the time when Jesus spoke those words, you may go, your son will live. The seventh hour was identically the same time. What that's saying is that this is not coincidence. This is not something which just happened to happen, that he would have got better anyway. 
This is beyond coincidence because it happened at exactly the time that Jesus spoke. There is a causal link, therefore, not an accidental link. A causal link between Jesus' words and the son getting better. They said the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and his household believed. And yet there was a sense in which he, anyway, had already believed. Remember that belief is something which is indissolubly linked to action. The two are not separable. It's like two sides of a coin. If you have belief on one hand, you have action on the other hand. They are two of the same things. They are not separable. If you believe, your belief causes you to act. If you don't act, then you don't believe. It's as simple as that. You cannot have one without the other. They are interconnected. They are, in fact, one is the, the mental um, picture or image or um, formation of the outward action. So in a way, this person already believed. He wouldn't have come all the way from Capernaum to Canaan in order to see Jesus if he hadn't believed, because the act of coming is an act of belief. Just as the act of going is also an act of belief, because Jesus said, go and your son will live, and he went. Belief and action are connected. And so he and his whole household, it said, believed. Well, let's say that in the beginning, only the man believed that Jesus could perform this miracle. And now by the end of it, with the son alive, and the man having told his story and what Jesus said to him, they all believe. Everyone comes to faith in Christ because only he could have done it. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. We're talking about the second miraculous sign within Cana itself. The turning of the water into wine and now the healing of the official son. And all of it depending upon belief in Christ, as if that is the key point. And it's a belief which will overcome um, obstacles, even rebukes from Jesus. And I think that's something to take away from this, if anything else is. That it's only the person who accepts the words of Christ, regardless of what is being said, but accepts that what he says is true and correct and who he is. And it may well be that we see a kind of testing in that. There's a testing in those words of you people, you only believe if you see signs. There's a testing of the metal of the character of the person. And we see this time again of the testing of people by an immediate rebuff. And if they can overcome that immediate rebuff from Christ, if they show they have the kind of character which clings to him regardless of re being rebuffed, that is the kind of character that Jesus is seeking. <laughs>